This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Welcome to the Hero Academy Podcast, the place where we can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes. I believe that frontline heroes such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those who have chosen to serve society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here you will learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their passion. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing. Things you can do to make extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you will learn from people like you who are working full time, but still found time to create a course, grow a big team or a large audience or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories and how they overcame burnout. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. I'm your host, David Diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. Hello, my family and friends, and thank you for joining this week's episode of the Hero Academy podcast. If you're a frontline hero, police, fire, EMS, military, or medical professional, then you are in the right place, and this show is for you. This week, I'd like to introduce you to our first international guest, episode number 15, Tom Wheelhouse, former police officer and a career change specialist. You want to hear this one if you're thinking about getting out. All right, enjoy. All right, guys, we are live here with Tom Wheelhouse all the way from the UK. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. No problem, brother. When I saw you on uh, Instagram, I was like, I got to reach out to Tom and I got to get him on the show. So can you just tell the audience about you and about your business? Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, I'm Tom. Uh, The business is called Mightify. Uh, I'll probably try and explain how I made up that word in a bit. Um, And we help people in first responders, police, fire, rescue, ambulance, find things they actually like in or out of their agency, help them thrive. All started in a nutshell because I was a cop here in London and then I didn't want to be one anymore for various reasons, uh, but there was no support (laughs) in that transition. And that's what we try and provide. So how long were you a cop in London? Uh, Five years. Five years. I've never been to London, never never been to the UK before, but I definitely want to go. But I want them to pay me to go before, you know, before (laughs) I go, I want to be paid. (laughs) You'll need it when you come to London, just so you can afford a beer, if nothing else. You need some of those expenses. It's very expensive. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Before you started your company, what were you doing before you were cop? Uh, Bits and pieces, actually. I was a, a languages student, so I actually studied French in France for a bit. Um, I worked for an insurance company, just bits and pieces. So I was kind of, yeah, just working out what to do with my life, I guess. And then uh, how did you get introduced to the police department? Who put you onto that? Do you know what? It's actually a bit unusual because um, here most people have got some sort of family connection to police or military or something. And I, I didn't really. Um, so for me, it was I was teaching English in 
in Leicester Square in central London um, to foreign students. And I was just really kind of unfulfilled with it. And I was looking at the newspaper on the train on the way home and there was a big police recruitment advert in there. And it, I don't know, kind of a penny dropped really. And I thought, actually, yeah, this does, you know, they probably had like all the cool pictures in there of like, you know, helicopters and boats and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, yeah, I'll have, I'll have a piece of that. But no, it did actually, um, I was frustrated with the teaching thing because I, I wanted to help people and we weren't really doing that in that school I worked at. It was just taking money off people. So yeah, it probably did appeal to like a, a sort of sense of service, I guess. Okay. All right. What was your last unit, your last assignment when you started feeling burnt out? That would have been, I was on what in, in London is called the TSG, which stands for Territorial Support Group. Sometimes people also call it the Thick and Stupid Group or the Spice Girls. But it's basically, um, so like a riot unit, I guess. So you do a lot of uh, proactive stuff, a lot of public order work, um, prison riots, a lot of demonstrations, big emphasis on fitness and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, really full on kind of role. Now, the one thing that I know about cops in the UK is that you guys don't carry sidearms, right? For the most part, yeah. There's only very, very small percentage you, who would routinely carry, yeah. The emergency response units, right? Only a small percentage of those. So I started out, most people start out on the streets, kind of on a response team. And most of those guys, a lot of them have tasers now, which is quite a, re- a recent thing. But my, the vast majority of those won't have a firearm of any kind. And there's specialist response units sort of another level above that. that are the ones that come out with an armed response. So you have to be really good at talking people into cuffs, right? <laughs> you just basically <laughs> have to be good at talking to people. Yeah, I mean, you know, it focuses your mind when uh, potentially someone else has got a gun and you've got a little extendable metal stick and a can of spray and, you know, you just ask them nicely not to shoot you. So, yeah, you're right, you know, 100%. It's all about your communication skills and and your way to talk to people because you haven't got much else to work with. Yeah, yeah. So I asked you before we went live, how often do you have, like, a police officer injured in the UK by, you know, by shot by a bad guy or... I feel like it happens a lot more in the US. Yeah, I don't know sort of statistics off the top of my head, but I think in yeah, definitely more frequently in the US. But I think it's it's certainly guns are much more prevalent, I think, here than, than they used to be, um, in terms of sort of day-to-day offending. It's not to say they're everywhere and cops being injured by firearms is still pretty rare. But I think, you know, the kind of the, you can see we've had a lot of violent crime recently, especially in London, a lot of stabbings and um, sort of gang related crime. And I think you can see how the level of violence escalates. So it's very difficult if you haven't got a kind of, you know, response to that threat. Your company, Mightify, so you help first responders, police officers transition into their next career? Yeah, that's that's our main focus. we try and help them thrive all around. So, I mean, before, well, part of this business, I, I've done a lot of personal training, fitness training as well, a lot of nutrition stuff. I've done talks on sleep. Um, we work with a lot of positive psychology as well. So we try and look at the whole person and just say, you know, what's not working at the moment? Where can we help you to thrive? But I think just with the the kind of socioeconomic factors recently in the demographics, a lot of it's been about people wanting to leave or naturally leaving because they've come to their retirement age or been injured. And it was just a, a kind of a gaping hole in provision where I certainly had it when I was sort of put my hand up, said, I'm thinking about leaving. My, my boss would say, look, tough if you don't like it, you know, McDonald's are hiring. 
off you go. You know, that's the the level of kind of support. And that really that really damages people as well because they, you know, spend 20, 30 years building an identity as a cop. And then someone just says to them, actually, we don't care about that. You're no good to us anymore. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> yeah, you know, that absolutely breaks people. So one of the kind of first bits of the puzzle we're trying to tackle is that how do you actually find somebody because, you know, there's no shortage of skills. If you've done 20 years as a frontline cop, you, you can do anything else, I think. You know, there's nothing that should daunt you or scare you. But people don't know how to translate that into a new world. And often those new worlds don't know how to kind of receive it either. So, yeah, that's a big part of what we do. And there's thousands of people that we've worked with who've gone to work for any company you can think of and done brilliantly because they apply that same skill set and that same mindset to it. It's just, you know, still a lot of police departments, unfortunately, trying to kind of make them feel like they're no good and no use to anything else just as a way of kind of it's the old kind of command and control style of leadership rather than actually empowering people a bit more i saw a photo you had went and spoke to a police department how do you pitch the idea to police departments because basically you're going in and helping them to retire (laughs) if they want to leave how do you pitch the idea yeah, and, and that's caused some difficult conversations over the years, I can tell you. And um, I think one thing that happened here that's worked in my favour, and that I'd be interested to know if it happens in the US or not, is that the military here do have a much more kind of advanced transition programme. So once you're in the military, when you sort of signal your intention to leave, it triggers a, a standardised 12-month process where you are supported to do that and there's sort of retraining elements and funding and there's all kind of companies lined up who are there willing to receive military veterans. But here you say that about police and that people just don't get it. So, yeah, I to give you an example, I went to see one police force here and they're one of their very sort of senior leaders said to me, well, I'm retiring soon and I'm not worried about it at all. So I don't see what the problem is. And, you know, I didn't want to point out that that's all right when you're earning, you know, six figures and your pension pot's worth half a million pounds and all the rest of it, then great. That's not quite the same deal for everyone else. So, yeah, it has been a real mindset change. So to me, it's there's two halves to it. It's selling the, the human case for it, that just as actually these people are given 30 years of their lives. Often, you know, they joined at 18, now they're sort of 48, 49, they've given their adult life or uh, half of it to your region and you don't want to give them a couple of hundred pounds worth of investment to say thank you. And to me, that's not okay on a sort of human level. But also there is a big business case for it because we've got a situation here where there's a lot of uh, government commitments to recruit a lot of police officers that they're struggling to hit. And police officers are not staying anymore. So just to get the numbers, there's a bit of a wider question there that says, actually, how do you make policing seem like an attractive organisation to join? And if people are seeing, like I said earlier, their, you know, their dad or their aunt or their cousin join the police and then 20 years later they just got kind of kicked to the curb when they finished, no one at 18 is going to want to join that because they'll go and work for Facebook or someone who's going to treat them better. And that's the different kind of society we're in. So, yeah, I try and get those points across, but you're right that sometimes we get seen as a bit of a poacher that we're just going to go in and encourage people to go and double their money somewhere else. But again, I've got to the point now where a lot of the time, because police forces don't want to treat people properly and don't want to look after them, even down to you know their mental health, their sleep, their shift patterns, 
I say to them, well, it's up to you. You treat them well and they'll stay. You treat them badly and they'll leave. And that's human nature. And you have to do your side of the bargain too if you want to have good talent in your organization. So you typically come in as a trainer? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, I'd say we're, you know, as, as a sort of coach and, and we take people through a, a sort of systemized program that actually helps them understand where they're at and where they want to get to. And yeah, and it's not about working against the police and I don't walk in and say, you know, right, everybody leave because, you know, the grass is greener somewhere else and I'm going to double all your money because that's not true either. And I don't want to, you know, give them all that um, waffle, but it's trying to work with the organisations, with the police and say, look, you know, we've got some stuff to offer your people just as you have. But if you just kind of empower them a bit and show them what they're capable of, because most people want to be there for the right reasons. They join the police because they believe in it, not to make money, um, except for the usual, you know, overtime bandits that you get on every team. But most people don't join for the money, right? They join because they believe in it and for a sense of duty. So actually, you've got the right people already. The easy bit should then be look after them, develop them, invest in them. And that's what we're saying. And then if there comes a point where they say, actually, the right opportunity for me now is to go and be a fraud investigator for a bank instead, then fine. Because guess what? If you treat them well and let them leave on good terms, in five years, they might come back and bring a whole load of new set of skills back with them. But nobody's going to do that when they're still being treated badly and undervalued. Your investigators, they can, um, I don't know how your pension system works. They can just leave and then they could decide to go right back like a few years later if they wanted to. That's a massive can of worms at the moment, the whole pension thing, because um the paying conditions in general, but especially pensions, have all changed in the last kind of 10 years, um, which has made policing unattractive to a lot of people in a lot of ways. So you've got a lot of people who can retire and then it makes no financial sense for them really to go back. Mm. But you've also got people who leave like me kind of midway through their service who could go back and rejoin, but they'd be leaving a really good pension scheme a lot of the time and rejoining one that's nowhere near as good. So it's another kind of nail in the coffin, really, of people going back, which is a real shame because it's a one-way street at the moment of talent. Would you have to go back through the academy and retrain completely? In theory, yes. Um, What a lot of places are doing is if people have left recently, so like a year or two ago, um, they won't have to. Or maybe if they've got like a specialist skill set, they go back and they go through, you know, the first kind of few months as a refresher but then they could go back to their um you know specialist unit so everyone's doing different things because there's kind of the cats out of the bag on this uh, skill shortage so everyone's doing different things to try and plug the holes at the moment and so there's a lot of kind of with a really fragmented approach here where although there's sort of national bodies for most stuff um, you get sort of 45 versions of the same thing. I know that, you know, in the US, it's, it's, there's you know, thousands and thousands of police agencies. But here, yeah, you know, from one region to the next, you find a totally different answer to all those questions, which is frustrating too. So I know you have the city and then you have local counties and local departments and then local providences. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, pretty much. So um, they're done, they're all regions, but a region could just be uh, like the same as an administrative county, some of which are just like, you know, really old fashioned boundaries that have been the same for uh, 500 years or something. And some make a bit more sense. And then what what tends to happen now is that specialist teams, so like a lot of the counter-terror teams or helicopters or horses or whatever, they're kind of shared between regions basically to pull limited resources across a bigger area. 
So yeah, if you're in sort of central London, you're all right, really, because you've got everything very nearby. But if a sort of major incident happened in a more rural area, you'd be probably waiting a while because um, that stuff's not on the doorstep. It's all kind of centralised or regionalised. Mm. But people don't want to give up the kind of the locality of having like the hat badges that have their little region on it. That's why, you know, I don't know if it'll ever change because people, you know, it's politics then when you get into that level of it. Where do you like spend your time mostly doing each day? Like what does a typical day look like for you? Uh, long and busy. Um, it's changed a bit actually in the last 18 months. We used to do a lot of face-to-face stuff and I'd really kind of get around the country because England's small enough, right, to do that. I can just jump in the car and be in the other end of the country and hit the sea again in six hours or something. Um, so that's an advantage. And then obviously we had to move everything online uh, for a year or so, which was it still works. And, you know, this is a good example of how actually you can get some extra opportunities from going online that you can't get face-to-face. But I was doing the same kind of things. So speaking to individual officers about their plans, helping them, coaching them, trying to uh, chip away at those walls of organisations who didn't want to bring people like me in, trying to chip away at employers to build sort of onward pathways as well. So I kind of spend probably 50% of my time doing almost business development to try and spread the message and grow the whole kind of concept of transition from emergency services to the rest of the world. And then the other 50% actually helping people. And I think, you know, that's, you know, you know yourself from when you're trying to sort of grow a business that it's hard to balance all those things because you want to do the thing that you started the business to do. But suddenly all these other things come into view as well, where you have to kind of be a business person as well. So, yeah, I find myself uh, doing a real mixture. And just in the last few months, it's been nice, actually, to get back on the road. And I never thought I'd miss kind of like motorway service stations and stuff. But it's actually been quite nice just to see different towns and cities again and meet different people with different accents and, you know, kind of stand in front of a room full of people. So, yeah, I really enjoy it when we get to do that. And we actually got a room full of cops who we can go, right, you know, let's actually get some work done and get some plans built. What's the biggest uh, conference that you've spoken in front of? Uh, That's a good question. Or the biggest group of cops? How many do you think were in the room? Probably it'd be into three figures. So yeah, we don't, I mean, big conferences, it seems like ages since those have have even been a thing. But yeah, we've run our own sort of events. Because again, we ended up being a bit of a disruptive new thing. It was very difficult for me to get a speaking slot at the kind of old school conferences because they don't want me to kind of, you know, (laughs) <laughs> let the genie out of the bottle in that audience yeah so um we started doing our own which we'd get sort of you know three figures out which is good because you know it's it's hard to kind of get the word out when you're the little guy so yeah it's just a constant battle but i mean you know things like the social media side of it's been huge so i know that often when we put you know I'll put videos on linkedin or write things on linkedin and they'll get sort of tens of thousands of views so yeah it's interesting to see what kind of spreads and how where it spreads to yeah, that's how I found you. So uh, if you could create a, a television show, like a Netflix show or Amazon show, uh, what kind of show would you make? You know, what, it's funny you ask that because I was watching um, on Netflix recently. I've been really, really getting into the Last Chance You, and there's one called Basketball or Nothing as well about the uh, Navajo Nation in Arizona. And it's like all these kids who've got, you know, pretty poor upbringings or limited chances in life. And, and they, you know, they use their football or basketball or whatever to get out. But I think like you have some kind of hybrid of that and 
Shark Tank, I think you call it over there, Dragon's Den, we call it here, um, where I think you just, I go around and I, I get police officers and firefighters and paramedics on and I'd say, right, you know, tell us your ideas. And we'd have, you know, like investors and coaches and just unlock all that potential. And there might be ideas to, you know, police their city better, or there might be ideas for some kind of totally different thing. But just in the last month, we've been around this country running our courses. And already I've heard about businesses from like microbreweries to bagpiping to drone photography to, you know, all these things that are just out there hidden that no people haven't got like, the confidence or the pathways to develop but I think we're missing a huge kind of pool of creativity and drive and stuff that could just benefit like you know business but also society as a whole because people don't get a chance to ever say to anyone yeah actually I've got this idea because they don't want to say it in front of all their you know colleagues on their team because they don't want to be ridiculed or or whatever so yeah I think yeah let's do that let's make like a I can't think of a clever name for it off the top of my head but you know like a sort of a, a shark tank for direct We'll call it. We'll call it something. I can't think of a clever name either, but it'll be something like the Dragon's Den or Shark Tank, something like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's that's what I do. And you know, all you need is um, you know Mark Cuban or Jeff Bezos, somebody to put up the billions, and then we're we're away. It doesn't cost that much to make a YouTube channel, though. So you know that might true? be an idea for your YouTube channel, and then it gets picked up by Netflix. Yeah, I'm open, yeah, I'm open to that. Open to that offer. So yeah, Netflix, get in touch. <laughs> if money wasn't in the equation, so you didn't have to work anymore, what would you spend your time doing every day? <laughs> um, do you know what? I think I'm not going to pretend that I would do this all the time um, with 100% of my time. I would still do some of this. I would still go and do the talks and I would still go and try and show people. Yeah, because it's rewarding. Yeah, definitely. And the rest of the time, yeah, I'd get like courtside seats at Madison Square Garden or something. But yeah, no, but I would I would definitely still do this because it is rewarding. And I had a couple of years in the sort of... So say if you only had to do it like once a month because you don't need the money and you don't need the business anymore because the business is basically running by itself. You had mentioned travel. What's like the top four or five places on your list that we want to go? I'd go to New Zealand, I think, first. New Zealand and Canada uh, for the kind of just the epic sort of space and the the scenery. And I think, yeah, I guess growing up here, you get a lot of really cool things and you can have a kind of a bit of everything in Britain, but you don't get just that like size and scale. And I think it's the time as well. There's no point going to New Zealand for a long weekend. So, you know, I'd, I'd take that time to actually get a a camper van or something and just, you know, go right up, see you in six months. I'm going off grid and just kind of, you know, seeing the, the the full scenery. I would love to live in New Zealand or Australia for like six months out of the year, you know, just six months and then go live somewhere else for six months. Like, um, I think I would like to live in Hawaii for six months, you know? <laughs> yeah, nice. Or like Bali or like, you know, Thailand, like somewhere really, really far, you know? I think, yeah, it's just doing something that's completely different, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be really cool. So uh, do you have any great stories from when you were a cop? Like any funny stories or crazy stories? I'll leave the kind of sort of serious, crazy ones, I think, for now, because people, you know, everyone's got those. And, and actually, there's a program coming out next week that I've got a little slot on about some riots from 10 years ago in London. And um, so that'll be interesting to see back because it was kind of, you know, when you forget what things are really like and then someone shows you the CCTV and you think, oh, yeah, actually, that was quite, that was quite serious, that. And it doesn't seem like that in your head. 
not the serious ones, but yeah. the funny ones. I think the most the one that comes to mind just as sort of a ridiculous thing that we all just were sort of doubled up about because it was so ridiculous in the midst of you know really serious and sort of um, traumatic stuff was that it was about probably four o'clock in the morning and you know you're in that kind of twilight zone where you don't really know if you're awake or not and you're just like on caffeinated and you know you don't know what's going on really and um, this is in sort of in South London so it's you know sort of built up area. And uh, we turned up to this house and um, it was like a really innocuous thing, like all the, all the best ones are, you know, really innocuous kind of cool. And, um, and we got there and this lad was stood on the sort of upstairs balcony, basically, completely naked, socks on. I don't know why he had socks on, but he was completely naked other than his socks. Um, and he just sort of looked at us and did like a full length dive off the um, balcony. One of those ones where you think, right, you know, he's going to be seriously injured. And he just got up as if it was nothing and looked at us, picked up one of those uh, for sale signs on a sort of wooden fence post out of the front garden and just started sprinting off up the road, completely naked. And it's quite a busy road still. So there's <laughs> oh like night, night buses and taxi drivers swerving out of the way. And he was, you know, fast as well. So we, and it was one of those ones where he just kind of stopped and looked at each other. Is this happening? Or is this a sort of a candid camera thing? Or So anyway, we get to the top of this hill chasing him and eventually kind of... Uh, rugby tackle him but at the time um two of our colleagues were also on the same road coming out in the road trying to catch a swan so um there was just this like totally bizarre scene where a bit of a sort of crowd had formed but most of the people in the crowd were probably drunk because it was like three o'clock in the morning so no one was up for any good reason it was all people on their way home from a night out and they see two two cops in uniform wrestling a naked guy on the floor with a property sign and two other cops trying to throw a police jacket over a swan that doesn't want to be caught. And it was just like one of the most, yeah, the CCTV of that, just hard to come out of that looking remotely kind of cool or uh, tactical in any way, just like an idiot. And it's one of those ones where, you know, later on someone will probably overlay like some clown music over it or something. Some clown and music, on. yeah. So I'm glad that was quite a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise that would definitely be on uh, Twitter or something now. But hopefully, uh, you know, it's before the days where people filmed everything on their phones. Uh, so (laughs) that's that's a pretty funny story that guy had to be on drugs right yeah i think it was yeah yeah basically yeah yeah so he thought he's when we caught him he said that he thought uh i was the devil basically so that's why he was running away yeah of course he did what's your next project that you're working on I think it's it's really kind of turbocharging all the things we've been doing uh, individually and making them into one big thing and, and actually going global because the more I have these kind of conversations, we've had a few clients in the US, we've had them in New Zealand and uh, you know places I've had to look on Google Maps um, when someone said, I'm in this, this police department. So I know that the issues are kind of global and I know that there's a network of people out there who can who can help them. You know, I think, you know, through your podcast, I see all these people and I think, oh yeah, like they're on the same page as us as well. Maybe we could join forces. So I think it's that fuse it all together and make a proper kind of big, powerful, not a machine, because I don't want it to be inhuman, but a big system that actually, you know, helps people and uncovers all those things. And, you know, that and the Netflix series, obviously. But um, yeah, those two things for sure, just making this a big thing and because I think it needs to be. And I think we haven't even scratched the surface yet. That sounds pretty cool. So if uh, you need a contact in the U.S., I'm it. I'm on the East Coast. That's cool. So we just need to create like a network across the whole of U.S. and Canada and into South America and everywhere else. I got a couple of Canadian contacts that I uh, There's a guy that 
He coaches on emotional intelligence. So I'm going to link you up with him. Yeah, that's not it. That'd be great. Yeah, that's his thing. So uh, what I do is I teach people how to become coaches. Yeah. And I think, you know, we need a lot more of those for sure. Yeah. So, and then I teach them how to become like a high six figure coach, you know? Definitely. I think, I think that's actually really important and doing it in like, you know, in the authentic way that you do as well. Cause I think there's so many people who get put off by the, like the snake oil salesman, you know, it's not the polite way of putting it, but you know what I mean? It's politer than some other options. Um, you know, so I think, and then they never try. And that's one, that's one of my big kind of frustrations with a lot of people in the, the groupings we're talking about is they got all these really cool ideas and really cool skills, but they talk themselves out of even trying because there's no one there to kind of, support them or show them the way so i think yeah that's that's a good mission to have yeah it's important to have a good coach how can the audience find you if they're looking for more information about your company so they can go on any social media basically and they can search for me tom wheelhouse there's not that many of us in the world i'm the one usually in some sort of blue top with a slightly ginger beard um, or they can search for the business, which is called Mitify. Again, I made that word up, so it should be the only one. If it isn't the only one, let me know, because there's some trademarking issues I'll be keen to talk about. So yeah, Tom Wheelhouse. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you mentioned you were going to tell me where Mitify came from. Yeah, it's, you know, it goes back to, like I said, before I was a cop, I was a sort of languages geek, and I still am. And I got actually got a little bit frustrated with trying to think of a business name, because every time I thought, yeah, I've cracked it, someone else had it already, or they had the domain name and all the rest of it. Um, so I thought, right, I'm going to make up a word. And I thought, what do I really want this to be about? And obviously at the time, you know, there's things like Spotify was out there and there's a few other kind of different variations on that. But I thought, right, actually, if you can like amplify sound to make it louder and you can fortify walls to make them stronger, then we can mightify people who are already really strong and mighty. They just don't know it yet. So that's where we got to basically. So simple as that. Oh, I like it. I like it. All right, these are my last five for you, and then I'm going to cut you loose because I respect your time. Uh, what's your definition of a hero? Somebody who sees a problem and resolves to fix it and doesn't stop until they get there. And when you're feeling really stressed out and you're feeling kind of low on yourself, how do you break that feeling? How do you save yourself? Uh, for me, it's either just being outside or it's um, lifting things in the gym. I need to feel some kind of like tactile, physical thing, I think, to recenter myself. So either of those options usually does the job. Do you consider your company more of a consulting company or more of a coaching company? Like, what do you consider the business? I think initially I would say coaching because that to me says it's more about one-on-one. But in time, I think we're going to have to do a lot more consulting to change the whole narrative as a on the bigger scale. So I guess we're, we're 50-50. What's your power? What's your greatest strength today? your ability emotional intelligence i think um yeah i think i was never the definitely never the the smartest kid in school if you want anything done with numbers don't ask me but i think i can understand people and i can relate to them and i can help them see things that maybe they didn't see themselves empathetic yeah empathetic or sympathetic i guess it would be empathetic right yeah, I think both. But I think, you know, and you probably find the same. I think with this market that we're talking about, with people talking about, I think if you haven't been there, it's very hard to... So I think there is a little bit of sympathizing because you've got to have been there yourself to get it, I think. Yeah. And just for fun, if you had a comic superpower, what would your superpower be? You know, I think it would be the ability just to make unpleasant people disappear. But like, I wouldn't even have to be there. So it's kind of like a hands-off superpower. It's a very time-efficient superpower. So anytime someone was just being a, 
I don't know what the correct word for this platform is, you know, being unpleasant or a bad person, they would just like, um, you know, disintegrate. Cease to exist. Poof. Yeah, just like in like a cartoon style, just like, you know, Tom and Jerry cartoon style, they would just, you know, evaporate into dust and that'd be that. And that's the end of it. And gra- gradually, one by one, we'd get rid of all the uh, people that aren't helping. So something like that. Yeah. I think Thanos did that with the rings, <laughs> yeah. you know, in the Avengers. But he made half of the population. He didn't care whether they were good or bad. He just made half the population disappear. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start a little bit more slowly than that, just one at a time, um, <laughs> and then see how it goes. <laughs> All right, brother. It was it was really good talking with you. I appreciate your time, and you have a really great mission. So definitely, people should look you up and find you on Instagram. Find your website. I'll definitely post links to both inside the show notes. That's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. And always happy. If you're doing this kind of stuff somewhere in the world or you think we can work together, let me up and um, yeah, let's make it happen, Dave. Yeah. So I actually forgot to tell you on September 6th to September 10th, I have a five day challenge. And uh, I think I'd like to have you maybe speak to the audience for like, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes and tell them, you know, all about your business and how you help people transition out of their careers. Yeah, count me in. Yeah. Yeah. If I can be there, I'm there. So yeah, count me in. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right, mate. Take care. Good to chat. You too. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith1. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.